So, one of the nice things about being a smaller church that's just getting started out is that it's really easy to know everybody and to notice when uh, people aren't here. And I wanted to point out, just a, a shout out to uh, Andy and Fabian back here, if you guys want to wave and say thank you to them. Last, gracias. Last, last week... Um, uh, Lizzie usually plays drums with us. She texted us this morning that her daughter, Alina, uh, was feeling sick. So we're praying for her, but super last minute, she was like, sorry guys, I can't play. So I texted both of them and I was like, hey, can you guys fill in this week? And I just sent them the songs like two hours ago and they showed up and <laughs> knocked it out. So they did a really good job. I'm very thankful that they uh, they did that. As, uh, we're able to jump in and help us out. So I have a uh, a question that I think will get will will tell me a little bit about how you all were raised, um, maybe what the rules were in your home whenever you uh, you guys were growing up. Um, how many of you were allowed to read Harry Potter when you were growing up? Yes, no, yes. It's funny outside of church. If you were ever asked that question, it would be the weirdest thing. Why? Why is that something that you would ask? But I feel like uh, it's, it's, it's an introductory question I have to ask sometimes, especially if I'm going to use Harry Potter as an illustration for one of the points I'm trying to make today. Um, you know, a lot of my friends, I'd say probably over half of the ones I grew up in church with, uh, were not allowed to watch Harry Potter. And uh, any time you brought it up, it got very, very, uh, <laughs> uh, very, very tense immediately. Um, but... I myself am one of those weird kids that was in that position where originally when I was uh, growing up, my parents were like, nope, you're not allowed. It's like witchcraft. It's, it's bad stuff. You can't do it. You're not allowed to read or watch Harry Potter. Um, but then my dad, interestingly enough, he read a book uh, that was called Finding God in Harry Potter. It's, it's a very short book. It's only like 20 pages, but I'd actually recommend it. It's really, really good. And the author went through and just found all of the like amazing things that you can, you can see, all the things uh, about God that you can learn <laughs> from the Harry Potter series. So I actually, I actually highly recommend it. And about halfway through when that series came out, my, my parents uh, switched their tune and all of a sudden they're like, you know what? No, this is great. We, we want you to read these books and watch the movies. And in fact, my dad uh, ended up reading the book series with me. Like whenever the new ones would come out, I would grab the book, I would read it first, I'd hand it to him, and he would read it after that. So we as a family became huge fans of the Harry Potter book series and the movie series. But I have this really funny memory about um, the, the very last Harry Potter movie, whenever that movie came out. I was... Uh, hanging out with several friends of mine, and it was actually the first time I ever remember going to, like, a, a midnight screening of a movie, you know, like, whenever the, the original releases. I think they've moved them, like, even earlier now, so it's, like, 8 o'clock on a Thursday night or something like that, but this is back when it was midnight on Friday night, uh, the beginning of Friday. That's when, that's when you could go watch the movie, and it was my very first midnight screening of Harry Potter, and I was not ready for the madness that would ensue when I walked inside that movie theater and I saw people dressed up and everybody waiting in line and huge crowds of people and everybody was so excited and so ready for this movie. Uh, one of my heroes, one of the coolest guys ever, I think, was this dude that was walking around wearing a huge robe, massive, like, gray beard, you know, just had the whole getup going around and people were like, oh, Dumbledore, what's up, man? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm Gandalf. That's what he said to everybody. He said, no, 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 I'm Gandalf. I don't know what you guys are talking about. And it's just, just throwing everybody off the whole way around as he's walking around the movie theater. 
But like I said, I went to this midnight screening with several friends of mine, and uh, one of my friends, Jonathan, um, decided he would join us. It was kind of last minute. He wasn't originally part of the group, but he's like, you know, we texted him, told him we were going, and he said, yeah, yeah, give me an extra ticket. I'll show up. So about an hour before the movie, because we got there like four hours early, so we could wait in line and get good seats whenever we go in for the premiere. About an hour before the movie, Jonathan comes up, and he's kind of running. He had just gotten off work, and he's just running up to the line, and he kind of draws a whole bunch of attention as he skips ahead of all of the other people that were very upset all the way to the front where me and all my friends are. And uh, he starts talking to us, asking us, you know, what, what the wait's been like and all that kind of stuff. And then he springs the craziest news on us, which is, um, he says, I haven't seen anything past like the fourth movie. <laughs> he was like, can you guys fill me in on <laughs> what happened since then? So up until that point, there's, there's three other movies, about to be the fourth movie, that very long movies where a lot of things happen and we have an hour before the movie starts and the group of the like six of us have to uh, try to cram in as much of the story in as we can to fill him in before he goes in to see the movie. Um, I think we did a terrible job. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure what he was thinking going to a premiere of a movie that he had not seen so many of them before. But I mean, that was a crazy task, trying to cram that much information into that short of a time to get him ready for the movie. And unfortunately, I think he was a little bit lost whenever he finally stepped inside to watch the movie. The reason I'm bringing that up is because I think this is the first time since then that I felt like uh, that same sort of pressure. What I want to talk to you guys about today is a huge topic that I have no idea how I'm going to cram it in to a very short amount of time here. So it's going to take uh, a lot of details. I'm going to need you guys to, 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 to really lean in, pay attention. Um, I'm probably going to go fast, but it's really, really good stuff that I think will be really, really helpful for us. Before I do that, let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would just help, uh, help whatever truths you have for each of us to be clear today. Help us to learn what you have for us. Help me to be able to cover this topic adequately and help each of us to gain something out of it that we can use to, um, to become more and more the people that you would have us be. In Jesus' name, amen. So the huge topic that I have to try to cram into a very short amount of time here today is we are covering uh, the, the topic of Lent. How many of you have ever been in a church that has uh, participated in Lent? Is that something that you're familiar with? Have you guys ever heard of the term Lent? Um, I'm not from a church tradition that ever did Lent. That was always, a, there's this term people use, they call high church tradition, you know, maybe more Catholic, Anglican, some of those older traditions. They do things like Lent and Advent and things like that. And I was never a part of a church tradition that did Lent. But recently, I've been really learning a lot about it, really learning that there's a huge value to it. And it's something that I, I want us to be able to participate in together here uh, at Wayfarers. Now, we're already behind. Technically, Lent started like a week and a half ago. <laughs> Ash Wednesday is the official beginning of Lent. And uh, that was not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before that. So we're already, we're already behind the ball. But we're going to jump in here because I wanted to be able to have this, this introduction to really explain to you guys what it is and what the concept of it behind it is and why I think it's so valuable for us, why I think it will be so helpful for us. Now, 
Lent in most churches, what it is, it's a, it's a 40-day period leading up to Easter. It culminates in Easter. It's 40 days. It culminates in Easter, and it's a time uh, for reflection a little bit. It's a time for preparation for Easter. It's interesting, in a lot of the early church and a lot of the beginnings of the church, um, Easter was kind of the, the huge holiday, the holiday everybody was excited about, the holiday that everybody was ready to celebrate. In our culture, uh, Christmas has kind of become the big one. You know, we're really excited about Christmas. Uh, it's a lot easier to sell things on Christmas than Easter. So obviously our culture, consumer culture, loves Christmas. Easter has kind of just become the day when you feel guilty and you go to church because you feel guilty about it. But for most of the history of the church, Easter was was the huge culminating holiday, the, 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 the most important holiday of the year, the one that they were the most excited for. And so because of that, they felt like they needed a, a preparation time. You needed a little bit of time to really get into uh, uh, the spirit of Easter, I get, get into the, the, the reason for the season a little bit, and kind of get your mind straight before Easter. So this period of Lent was kind of a period of time to kind of help get your mind prepared for this culminating huge holiday. And there's a lot of things you focus on during that time. The most uh, kind of key thing that I've seen a lot of churches focus on during Lent is it's an opportunity. Um, it's kind of a sad, somber season. One of the things that kind of gets me sometimes about most of these high church holidays is they're always really sad. Advent's really sad. Uh, Lent is really sad. They're very sad and somber. But it's a sad and somber season where you focus on just our own um, sinfulness, so to speak, all the ways that we have failed to measure up to what God wants us to measure up to, and all of the ways that, um, all, all the reasons, really, that Jesus ended up needing to come and it culminates with Easter and really culminates with all of the reasons in our own lives specifically for why Jesus uh, needed to die on the cross. But, and this is probably the most like pop culture thing about Lent, the thing you guys are probably the most familiar with when you hear the term Lent, is it's also a season of, of fasting. And this is, this is the reason I said this is way too much stuff to try to fit into a uh, one sermon but this season is kind of the, the, the center of the church season to practice fasting. How many of you have ever uh, done some form of fasting before? Have you ever been involved with that, ever done that for different reasons? An interesting thing about fasting is that the Bible actually never clearly defines why we fast. It just kind of assumes that you know what's going on. It just kind of assumes that it's something that people who follow after God have always done. And this is something that's always bothered me. I wish there was just a verse, like just a clear verse somewhere in the Bible where God said, this is the reason you fast. But again, like I said, it's just kind of assumed. It's kind of the, the way I've been feeling a lot lately. I, uh, I'm hopelessly behind on a lot of the Marvel movies lately, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all of the TV shows and everything else that's been going on with it. Uh, Jacob, our uh, connections pastor here at the church, he's like super into it. He knows all the details. He knows all the backstories. He's watched every movie a million times. And I remember Adrian and I were sitting trying to get caught back up again, and I decided I would just try to pull up one of the movies and see if I could kind of follow along. And it just jumped straight in, and immediately I realized I'm hopelessly behind. I have no idea what's going on, and I'm being thrown into the middle of it without any sort of explanation. And this is really what the Bible just assumes with fasting. The very first time it comes up, it's just kind of assumed that you know why you fast. Now, I grew up being told that the main reason you fast is that it's, a, it's kind of a way to uh, 
tell God that he is, uh, he's all you need. You know, you don't need these other things like food or the other things you might be fasting for, but God is all you need. And that's a really great reason. I think that's part of it. It's not necessarily uh, the, the thing, like I said, that you find in the Bible. <laughs> but recently I found a, uh, a biblical scholar that was saying something really, really interesting about one of the suggestions people give as to why we as Christians fast. And he was talking about the fact that God is a God who cares uh, for, for the poor. He cares for the widows. He cares for the orphans. He cares for the needy, ultimately. You see it kind of all throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, the whole way through. God really, really cares about people that are in need. And the scholar was saying that he thinks part of the reason that uh, God asks us to fast and to, to forego certain things in our lives is that it helps us both to relate to those needy people so that we understand kind of what it's like. You know, we are willingly choose, choosing to go without something. Lots of times people, they don't get that choice. They just, they just go hungry. <laughs> you know, they don't have the choice to eat. And so we are getting to connect with those needy people. But also, it is just a way to kind of draw God's attention. We know that God cares about the needy, you make yourself as needy as possible so that you become the center of God's attention. The example I have for this, it's the goofiest example. It's probably going to throw you guys off from what uh, the point of this is. But I, I thought about it this week. I was uh, at home watching my son, Toby, and I was trying to find a movie, just something to kind of distract him. Um, we, we're super cheap here lately and have gotten rid of like every streaming service. So the only one we had at the time was Prime, Amazon Prime. So I was just trying to find like a cartoon that was appropriate for Toby on Amazon Prime. And the movie I found was Puss in Boots, the like Shrek spinoff about the cat, you know, hat and boots, everything like that. And this picture right here, this is like the... Uh, the 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 special move that Puss in Boots has every single time. Anytime he wants to grab somebody's attention, he gets those uh, those huge eyes and that that like sort of endearing thing. Uh, for those of you that have cats, I'm sure that you can see you've you've seen your cats do this exact same sort of face. It's the face. It's like you look at it and it's just like, oh my gosh, I can't look away. That's so cute. That's the thing that is drawing all of my attention. And the biblical scholar I was reading, he was saying that, in a way, fasting, when we fast, it's like us doing this face to God. <laughs> it is a way for us to kind of draw his attention, to try, to try to endear him to us and to the things that we need. And that's the reason I think a lot of people do fast. They usually fast when they, when they want to receive something from God. And like I said, all of those reasons I think are valid, but... The one that I think is most closely connected to Lent is the one that we see Jesus himself do uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. I mentioned earlier that Lent is like a 40-day season. Uh, lots of times we're like, why 40 days? What's the, what's the significance of that? Well, for most of us, it's connected to the fact that, um, that Jesus uh, had to be tempted for that amount of time. And so in Matthew chapter 4, we see that temptation of Jesus here. And it starts in verse 1, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse 2 says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The 40 days and the 40 nights that Jesus fasted in the wilderness is sort of the template that we end up using for the season of Lent. 
And I love the end of that verse too, because it's like the most duh verse you've ever heard in the Bible. It says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> it's like, oh no, duh, of course he would be hungry. But I think this is, this is the focus of why he was fasting and, and part of the reason why uh, we fast during the season of Lent. It was sort of the moment when Jesus was going to be at his weakest and when his desires were going to be at their strongest. And the devil comes and he tempts him with, with food and with power and with all these things when, when he's just at his weakest, when he has the least amount of willpower possible, when he has been brought to the weakest point and you get to really test <laughs> what, uh, what his resolve is in that moment. And I think that that is part of what the season of Lent is supposed to do for us. Lots of times we get distracted. There's a lot of other things going on. There's a lot of things that can take our focus. There's a lot of things that um, can, can sort of mask over the, the deepest realities of what is going on in our hearts. And the season of Lent is a time for us to, to maybe give up some of those things, give up some of those distractions, give up some of those things that may be masking the real true weakness that may be at the center of our experiences. I was actually texting with uh, Noah this week actually, uh, earlier. He was telling me about uh, what we were doing Sunday, and I was telling him we were going to be focusing on Lent, and he was joking about, like, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Lent. I always think of it like New Year's resolutions. You know, he said, like, uh, people say, I'm going to give up something for Lent, and they last, like, a week, and then they just don't. Uh, <laughs> they, 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 they don't keep going. It's similar to New Year's resolutions. And it's, 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 it's honestly, it's something that is really, really hard for us to do. Because when you strip away some of those comforts, some of those uh, comfort foods, comfort distractions, the things that easily surround us and kind of hide the realities of where our hearts are at, um, it, it's not a comfortable place to be in. It's not a place that we like to be in. And the temptation to, to jump back into the distractions and into the things that we are focusing on become even stronger and even more powerful in that moment. And I think that's what's so amazing about the, the temptation that Jesus endures there in Matthew. When he is at the, the, the weakest he could possibly be, he still has the strength to resist the temptations of the devil. And it's interesting. I'm always encouraged when I read the Bible, and I realize that it is so... Uh, God understands how weak we are. God understands that we are not able to keep a lot of the things that we desire to keep. God understands that our New Year's resolutions probably don't last longer than a week, or that our Lent uh, fasting probably will not last longer than a week. And um, there's several verses that very clearly show um, that, that that's not really the point. This, uh, the, the fasting itself is not the center of what God wants us to do. Let me explain what I mean by this. There's a verse that has been uh, an obsession of mine for the last couple of years, and it's in Colossians chapter 3. It starts in verse 20. The Apostle Paul says here, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though do you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch 
These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based merely on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In certain ways, I think that this verse is the Apostle Paul saying, fasting's not really going to change anything. <laughs> um, he, it's, he, he specifically mentions these, these rules that human beings like to put a lot when it comes to, to churches, you know, or just to religious practice, you know, do not taste, do not eat, do not touch. We have a lot of rules that we like to place, whether it's on fasting or whether it's on um, other religious practices. And um, those, those end up becoming the focus of our religious practice. Those ends up becoming the things that we focus on. And the Apostle Paul is very clear. Those things, those rules are based on earthly things, things that are going to disappear, things you can't take with you, things that really don't matter in the long run, things that don't work. It's very interesting. He says those things actually have no value in restraining your sensual indulgences. Those things actually don't work. They don't do anything to actually change you. So it can kind of sound like I'm saying the opposite of what I was saying before. If I think that Lent is helpful, if I think this time of fasting is helpful, but the Apostle Paul, especially, I remember that's the first thing I thought when I read this verse years ago, kind of felt like, like Paul is saying, no, it doesn't actually work. Don't do it. There's no hope. Those things aren't actually going to make a difference. But the very next verse, I think, is where Paul shows us what he's actually talking about. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You see, I think this is the key to helping us to actually not have a uh, one-week Lent fasting period, a one-week New Year's resolution fasting period, to actually have this fasting and these physical practices that we do actually have an effect on our lives. It is, it is to focus on heavenly things. Focus on the purpose of why we are doing these things. Here recently, I have been uh, kind of trying to get into uh, this very trendy term, minimalism. I don't know if you guys have gone on YouTube and you can find all these YouTubers that are talking about minimalism, talking about all the, uh, you know, getting rid of as many things in your wardrobe, getting rid of as many things as you own. It's kind of this whole uh, movement of trying to kind of go against the consumer culture. Joseph, our worship leader, I know is also super into minimalism and he just makes me constantly feel bad about how many things I own compared to how many things he owns. But I'm, I'm into it. I like what it's about. I've been trying to, uh, you know, really take some of the tenets of that and, and, and bring them into my life. Ashley, uh, when we were recording our podcast one time, she came in a few weeks ago and I was wearing this like yellow shirt that I guess I never wear. And she was like, oh, this is the first time I've seen you in one of like not the three shirts that you always wear. You know, it's the first time, it's the fourth shirt she had seen. She actually saw that I owned something else. And uh, again, part of that is I'm trying to do this minimalism thing. I'm also just cheap and I don't want to buy uh, other clothing. You know, there's lots of reasons for it. But, you know, uh, I, I, I don't own a lot of things. 
But just this week, I saw a YouTube video from one of my favorite minimalist YouTubers who was talking about one of the dangers of minimalism, which is that sometimes minimalism becomes the point. You know, originally, the desire to have less things is, is supposed to be a counter to our consumeristic culture. It's supposed to be a way to be more content and happy. It's supposed to have purposes in, in helping to grow you as a person. But he says there's this danger when people go down this minimalist, uh, almost religion, <laughs> that they can kind of get into, which is that minimalism becomes the entire point of it. It just becomes about having less things. They forget about the purposes that they got into it, and they just start to have this really unhealthy relationship with things. They try to go to an extreme of getting rid of everything in their house, and it just, the, 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 the minimalism, the fewer things you have, becomes the point, and they lose sight of the, of the purpose, of the original thing, of the thing that got them into minimalism in the first place. And I think this is the case with almost any religious practice. You see it over and over again. I think you saw it with the Pharisees. I think you see it in churches today. Lots of times we get into these practices. We do these traditions. We do these things because we, we, we want to grow closer to God. We want to become more the people that God wants us to be. And unfortunately, sometimes we become obsessed <laughs> with just fulfilling the task rather than understanding the purpose behind the task. And that's why the Apostle Paul tells us, don't do that. Set your mind above on heavenly things. Don't lose track of your goal. Don't lose track of your purpose. Don't lose track of why you are doing these things. A couple weeks ago, I got an opportunity to go to a uh, climbing gym. Um, this overweight guy was in there. I was probably the biggest guy in the gym trying to do the climbing gym thing, you know, strapped into the ropes. And uh, uh, our buddy Zach, who I was hoping would be here tonight, it's the first time I haven't seen him in a few um, months. He was, um, he was showing us how to do the whole climbing gym thing. He's like the coolest guy there. Everybody there loves Zach. And he was showing us around, showing us how to tie the ropes and showing me and Adrian how to, uh, how to do the climbing gym portion of it. And I remember uh, I uh, got to that first wall. It's like 60 feet up in the air. <laughs> I'm like freaking out. Uh, I was a little bit concerned that you just, you actually tie a knot to go up on the climbing gym. Like I was hoping there'd be like some kind of clip or carabiner or something like that. But it's like, no, just Zach was like, you just tie this knot. I was like, man, I really hope that knot holds. I was, I was hoping for something a lot more secure. I was freaking out, hoping Zach did a really good job tying that knot. And I... I start the climb, and um, I remember I get about halfway up, and I'm just, like, freaking out. I'm like, I can't look down because I'm going to be terrified, and I'm just going to be stuck here forever if I look down. And so instead, what I started doing is I just started looking at the, like, rocks in front of me and just, like, I was, like, really, like, tight up here and just slowly trying to make my way all the way to the top. Um, Zach's a very motivating guy, and he was like, you're not allowed to come down. You just, you just got to slowly inch your way up to the top, and I'm, I'm very happy. I made it all the way to the top. You're not allowed to climb down, apparently, because then that was the more terrifying part. I had to jump off of the wall and just let yourself kind of rappel down. It was terrifying, but I did it. It was great. And I didn't realize Zach had been timing me how long it took, and I don't know. It took me like 10 minutes or something <laughs> ridiculous to go up to the top of that rock. So then immediately he follows it up with Adrian. Adrian gets a chance. She gets tied up. She goes in there. She gets on the rocks. And unlike me, 
she goes straight up. It's like 25 seconds from the bottom to the very top of the, the rocks. She just goes all the way up and then jumps down. She smoked me. It was like a, a million times faster than I had done it. And I remember when uh, uh, she got back down, I was telling her, man, that was insane. That was crazy. Zach was even really impressed. He was like, that was so fast. That was crazy. And she said, I knew that I just had to look at the, the, the goal, look at the, the little top of the thing you had to hit, and I just had to go for it as fast as I could because if I stopped at all, if I looked down at all, if I stopped to think even, she said I was going to freak out. So I just kept my eye on where I had to go, and I just went for it. And she did. She killed it. She did amazing. Went all the way to the top in record time. This is what I think the Apostle Paul is telling us that we need to do. <laughs> Don't get, don't get stuck like me, focused on the rocks, focusing on what's right in front of you, focusing on unnecessary details. Paul calls these earthly details. Things are going to pass away, things that you can't take with you, things that are just like a vapor, a mist. They're going to disappear. Look up. Look at your goal. Look at where you're going. Look at what is ahead of you, and that's going to be the thing that's going to get you through. That's going to be the thing that's really going to help you to succeed in whatever those practices are that may be in your life. Like I said, this season of Lent is built on following Jesus' uh, uh, fasting that he did in the wilderness for 40 days. And we see Jesus himself did this. He, he kept his eye on the thing that was ahead of him. The writer of Hebrews says in, uh, in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And this is the interesting part. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't think a lot of us think of Jesus as having uh, joy ahead of him when he goes to the cross, you know? Uh, but the, the writer of Hebrews tells us that is the reason Jesus was able to go through the, the incredible difficulty of the crucifixion, for the joy set before him, that joy that he was saying on the other end, that, that joyfulness is what allowed him to kind of push through this really difficult time that he was uh, going through. He had that goal in mind. He knew where he was going. He was focused on that joy, that end goal. And that's what allowed him to push through all of the things that he was going through in this period and in this time right now. That joy was the fact that he was going to spend eternity with us. That was the joy that was pushing Jesus to go through what he was going to go through. It was the joy of getting to be God united with his people. You know, the, the name that they use for Jesus is Emmanuel. It means God with us. God was so excited. God wanted to be together with us. That was the joy that was before him, and that was the thing that motivated him to do what he had to do on the cross. And I think lots of times that's where we get lost when we uh, decide to take up some practice like fasting, or it might not even be fasting. It might be prayer. It might be Bible study. Pick whatever, you know, good Christian thing you're trying to do, um, and you get caught up, uh, focused on it, focused on what's right in front of you, and you, you, and you end up uh, quitting it most of the time. And I think the reason we do that is because we, we, we forget to have joy at the center of what we're doing. We forget to have our goal, our purpose ahead of us as to what 
we are doing this for. So I have one particular thing I want you guys to try. I want, I, despite everything I said, I, I want you guys to try uh, some version of uh, fasting for Lent during this season leading up to, to Easter. I want you to, to think about what, what is something in your life that um, is maybe a distraction, something that you know uh, is, is, is taking up too much of your time, is taking you away from the Lord, or maybe is just keeping you from becoming the person that you know God wants you to be. God has a vision for your life. God has uh, somebody that he wants you to become, and you know that there may be things in your life that are kind of uh, standing in the way of that. My suspicion is as soon as I started bringing it up, you, you probably immediately had something come to mind. You know, you're like, I know what the thing in my life is that's going to be really, really hard to give up. But I want to encourage you, try it. This, this season of Lent is for that. It is an opportunity. It's just, it's a 40-day season. There's an end goal to it. You don't have to do it forever. Uh, in fact, it's even less than 40 days because we started late during our Lent season. But, but think of something. Try something that you, uh, you want to give up. But I don't want you to, to become obsessed with it. Don't be like me where I'm focused on the rocks right in front of me. <laughs> keep, in, keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the goal. Understand the reason that you are doing this. So that's what I want you to do. I want you to do two things. I want you to pick something that you're going to give up. And I want, you to, I want you to actually physically write out. Like go to, go to your house and physically write out why you are giving that thing up. What is the purpose? What is the thing that you want God to do for you during that time? And, and, and keep that goal in mind so that you don't become focused on just the practice. But there's one more thing I want you to do, and this is the thing that I think will really help insert that joy into this Lent season, a season that can be so sad and so hard for many of us to follow through on. And that is, throughout the, the rest of the next few weeks leading up to Easter, do your Lent practice, but don't do it on Sunday. Actually, traditionally, when people do Lent fasting, you don't fast on Sunday. You can see, go back to the early church fathers when they're describing what they used to do for a lot of their Lent period, and they, they're like adamant. You never fast on Sunday. It was very important to them that you don't fast on the Lord's day. Because Sunday is the day when we're not, we're not celebrating Jesus' crucifixion. We are celebrating his resurrection. <laughs> we're celebrating the joy. We're getting, a, we're getting a taste of what it's going to be like on the other end when we get to worship together with Jesus and worship together with all our other family members. I remember the very first time I did Lent, just that one change made a huge difference for me. I gave up something that was kind of uh, taking up a lot of time in my life. And I remember every time Sunday came around, I was so stoked <laughs> because Sunday, I didn't have to do it anymore. It was that little bit of a break every few days where you could uh, just, just enjoy. And it was interesting because um, I was trying to give up certain food things as a, as a part of Lent. I've always struggled with that, obviously. I'm the overweight guy that was in the uh, <laughs> climbing gym. Uh, I was trying to give up some food things. And on Sunday, when I didn't have to worry about it, it is amazing how much better that food tasted <laughs> when I didn't have to worry about the things that I was fasting from and I could just enjoy them for what they were. It is incredible how much joy I had during that season of Lent by giving up things for six days at a time. And then on Sunday, you get to have a, a little taste of it again, a little bit of joy. It helps to insert that joy and helps to make it something that we can actually follow through with and something 
that we can actually do. So it's three things, really simple. I want you to decide on something you're going to give up for Lent. I want you to write, like, uh, write it down, the purpose. Why are you giving this thing up? Don't lose track of that purpose. And don't do it on Sunday. Give that as an opportunity. Keep that day as a joyful season for all of us. My wife, Adrienne, gave me a really good example of this. Her parents did it sort of unknowingly, because I guarantee you they did not do Lent. They, they didn't know anything about that. Uh, grew up very Southern Baptist in that way. But uh, they, they had a rule in their house where they weren't allowed to do soda, it, only water, and I don't know, what was it, Adrian? like water, tea, tea, um, things like that, except for Sundays. On Sundays, they were allowed to have a Coke. And Adrian talked about how that was the best Coke she ever had. Every single Sunday after church, they would come home, they would get a sandwich, and they would get a Coke, and it was incredible. And I think that little injection of joy into a season that can usually be so sad is the thing that will really help that practice to actually have effect in our lives, help it to not just become another thing that we feel guilty about not doing, help it not to just become uh, an earthly thing, but help it to be something that has a, a heavenly purpose and a heavenly reward. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the fact that you are so good to us and that you are a God who cares about our happiness and about our joy. We know that there are difficult things, things that are temptations for us, things that try to pull us away from you. We know that there are hard things that we may have to um, cut out of our lives in some way or another, become less dependent on in our lives. But I appreciate, Lord, that you understand that our purpose is not just to become focused on these religious practices, but to really have joy in becoming the people that you want us to be. Help us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going to end with a time of communion here. We do this every Sunday at, uh, here at Wayfarers, and um, Joey actually brought this up a few weeks ago in his communion meditation, but it's something that's been very central for me. It's that joy aspect. Communion's usually very somber for a lot of us. If you've ever been in churches, it's a very somber occasion. But uh, when Jesus instituted it, he said, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to have this again until I'm together with you guys at this, this huge feast, this huge party that we're going to have at, at the end. And that's the thing I want you to focus on. Again, I, I want joy to be at the center of all the things that we're doing, uh, all of our practices, even communion. So that's the thing I want you to, to, to focus on during this time of communion. Focus on how exciting it's going to be to be able to have this together with Jesus again. It's going to be a party. It's going to be a really good time. So we're going to have just a few minutes. Just going to play a little bit of music in the background. Feel free to sit in your seat. Just pray. Get your heart ready. Focus on that joy you'll get to have with Jesus. And then whenever you feel ready, if you, if you want to participate, uh, you can go back and grab a cup and bread and uh, come back to your seat and participate in communion. 
All right. So, I feel like I'm just going to start calling this the always be plug-in segment because I've always got something to plug, always got something to advertise, always got something to tell you guys about. But today, it's just, it's just one thing, one simple announcement, and I've got my buddy Victor here to tell us a little bit about it. I'm really excited about this. I think it's something that's going to be really, really cool, um, but I want Victor to tell you a little bit more about what it, what it is. Yeah, um, in Acts 17, the way that the church described Christians was as those who, well, the church didn't describe them, other people described the church as people that were turning the world upside down. That when, we, when we're Christians and we're genuine Christians, we actually make a difference in the world. And, and they can see that we're living a different way. And a lot of times we talk about that or we, we talk about, well, I want to make a difference. But we don't actually think about how to do that. Uh, what we're doing is we're going to have a workshop at the end of the month, uh, the last Saturday of the month. It's going to be a workshop here. Several churches are coming. And it's about how to be disciple makers in the world. It's not about how, to, how you can be a better disciple. It's about how you actually can help others be discipled through your, through your witness and other things. So very excited. This is uh, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, the last Saturday, I think, is the 26th. Um, I'd love for you to, to, to be part. It's free food, if anything. There's free food. Um, but, and, and a book. And, 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 other, and really, it's also a good time just to, just to talk about what does it mean to be church with other churches, which I think is an important thing, uh, that we're not just by ourselves doing this. Um, so there'll be all kinds of uh, things. But I think the be- best thing is just fellowship with other believers and, and thinking about what does it mean to turn the world upside down. So um, there's a way to register, um, and we can give you that. If you're interested, uh, just ask me, and I'd, I'd be glad to, to help you know more about it. Awesome. 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., March 26th. March 26th, right perfect. Here, that was going to be my next question. Right here. It, it's in, 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 it'll be in this chapel building. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm very excited about it. They're bringing in this really cool guy who's kind of an expert on doing this. This is something that I think a lot of us get frustrated about, you know. We feel like churches, you know, Memphis has almost more churches than any other city in America. I think at one point in time, Memphis had more churches per capita than any other city in America. But it's obvious that we're not actually changing very much of the world around us. So this whole workshop is just going to be all about how can we change that? How can we actually be churches and church people and Christians that uh, actually turn the world upside down? So yes, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, Greg. Yes. 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 We're not getting a lot of hits so far, but... It's been really exciting. It's been a really good time. Um, uh, it, it has been really fun. So, yeah, definitely check that out. Yeah. Like, comment, subscribe. Hit the bell to get notified when we post more videos. <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, check it out. It's on Greg's personal YouTube channel right now. So if you just look up Greg Waddell, W-A-D-D-E-L-L. W-A-D-D-E-L-L. It's called Unfolding Revelation. 
And I have to apologize. I actually told you guys last week that it'd be up on podcast players, but I didn't upload it yet. I will as soon as I get home tonight. And you can also check it out just like on, you know, whatever podcast you guys like. I think that's all I got. This ad's brought to you by Squarespace. So thanks, guys. Appreciate you guys being here. We'll uh, see you all next week.